Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Sam Harrison, an English former rugby union player who made 178 appearances as a scrum half for Leicester Tigers. On this episode, he talks about how his drinking spiralled out of control before and during his career and what life looks like now he has finally kicked the booze. Sam is one of those guys that as soon as we started talking, I felt like I knew him for years. And please remember that Coach Helen Bennett, who specialises in helping people to stop losing control with their food, is now offering 10% off of all of her courses, classes and private coaching programmes. To claim this offer, please head over to our Instagram or website and use the discount code SOBERDAVE at the checkout. She is also offering a free Food Freedom Foundation Masterclass. You can find all of these details on our website, helenbennett.co. Now back to the show. I really hope you enjoy the episode and please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. So good morning, Sam. Well, it's your evening, I believe, because you're on the Gold Coast in Australia. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. I've been following you for a little while now, mate, because you're an ex-professional rugby union player, uh, and I saw you pop up on my Instagram, and, and you really interest me because you're a real bloke, do you know what I mean? So I thought <laughs> it'd be really good to get you on and talk about your experience um, of sobriety. But in the meantime, mate, I want to know how you are. I'm great, mate. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, yeah, I'm really good. Uh, loving life, um, as I'm sure we'll speak about soon. But um, just got back from a festival um, here, and it's pretty sunny at the minute as well. So um, can't that. complain, it's really, it's, Dave. It's and I've heard it's pissing it down. Oh yeah, my yeah, god! I've heard. I mean, we've lost we've lost the cricket because of the weather as well. You know, and you oh, I've heard all about the cricket. Don't worry, don't worry. I hear about that every day at the minute. So, <laughs> I bet. Oh, I bet. Yeah. But, you know, as usual, we wind it all back and that, and I, I like others on here, want to hear your story. So it all starts in the beginning, where you grew up and what life was like for you as a kid. So I grew up um, in a small, well, probably a large town um, called Hinkley, which is in Leicestershire. Um, I had three sisters, uh, younger brother, parents, obviously. Um, I had an amazing upbringing um, and... Yeah, I got just fantastic, really. I was always sporty as a kid. And I suppose the one thing, the, the two lines in my life have always been sport and music. And my mum is very musical. My dad loves music, but he's never played an instrument, although he tries to tell me he can play guitar, but he definitely can't. <laughs> um, and so I was always sort of getting pushed and pulled by myself, by my own brain, I suppose, to sport and music and there was always a bit of a a fight I suppose as to which one I was really you know was really my route Mm. in life and I suppose um Hinkley's a very sporty town there's a lot going on there and I was just always doing something whether it was uh football at first as most kids do and then um I did a lot of boxing as a kid um and then rugby tennis table tennis everything really Dave um I did a lot of skateboarding as a kid as well. And that's obviously where a lot of my friends are from hanging around down the local sort of skate park. It wasn't really a skate park. It was just a car park, but to Mm. us, it was a skate park. And yeah, I I had an amazing childhood really. And, um, you know, my parents were, gave me a lot of freedom growing up. Obviously that has its pluses and its negatives, I suppose now. Um, But, you know, for, for me, it was wonderful. And I had lots of friends. I had lots of family around. And, you know, my school life was was great. Um, I sort of luckily always had friends and I, I did struggle with the, the 
academic side of of school but for some reason I always enjoyed I always enjoyed it but probably not for the right reasons I suppose um I was sort of always you know getting into trouble not for anything serious but I I've really struggled focusing um especially in the academic subjects like I just I just treated it as a, a a bit of a piss around, unfortunately. I think looking back now, you're a little tyke then at schools, yeah. But always, I, I think that's it? the nice word for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah I, I was the same, mate. I wasn't academic at all, but I loved sports, so I shot in that yeah. area, you know. And and the headmistress loved me. I mean, I was always in trouble. I remember throwing a shoe at someone, and it went <laughs> through the window. Uh, and I was dragged by my ear roll to the headmistress, but I was also in the plays as well, the school plays, as, as the sort of the funny one. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I was a Hungarian diplomat in My Fair Lady called Zoltan Kapafi, and she she just took a shine to me. So I was dragged in the office, and she would almost like, get out of here, you little monkey. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Well, I'm so that rings a lot of bells with me because I was always in trouble, but then they'd get me in their office and I'd either smile at them or at, at one time my dad's friend was actually my headmaster and he knew me and knew I was probably like a good kid deep down and I just always managed to get myself out of trouble and stay on the right side of the teachers enough to not quite get chucked out of school. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sort of scraped my way through school and then um, obviously at the age of about 16 I rugby became my I, I got picked in sort of the teams that made it appear that that was my journey really career-wise and it, it sort I never decided it it just sort of happened I think really yeah so was you really good at 16 and and because you turned pro at 18 didn't you yeah I made my debut at 18 yeah um I mean at, at sort of age 14 to 16 you start getting a gauge of you know, if you're if you're good or not, because you get into county teams and 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 other stuff. But I mean, at that point, Dave, I was just as as you are as a kid. I wasn't really driven to be a rugby player. It wasn't. I, I was a Leicester Tigers fan at the time, but I was also an Aston Villa fan equally, and I was a, a massive boxing fan. Ricky Hatton was my sort of idol growing up, and I was just sort of going through life, just being a kid and a teenager, and you know. Unfortunately, drink did come into that. Um, but at that time, I was just living probably a very normal life. And then at age 16, the rugby, it came to a point where, right, this is going to be full time, four days a week training, um, which obviously at that age is, is an amazing opportunity. And that's when I had to give up the boxing and, and other sports I was doing and the skateboarding had to stop as well, obviously. And um, I was also playing music at that age as well. I was um, like a drummer growing up and I played guitar and that sort of just slowly went away as well, I suppose. And rugby became very um, full time, really, at the age of sort of 16. Yeah. What was you drinking before that? Yeah. So, I mean, going back, I suppose, alcohol has always sort of been there. My, my parents, I don't know what the word is to describe. It's hard to describe, really, but my parents are... Uh, I'd say at one point were probably quite heavy drinkers, not in the terms of drink. They wouldn't drink every night and be, you know, slaughtered around the house. They were amazing parents, but, you know, they probably would admit that they were regular drinkers. And we also had, my parents are very sociable people. And we had, growing up, we just had parties at our house a lot. And I was obviously exposed to alcohol a hell of a lot as a child. And I think maybe the attitude back then might have been a bit more free-willed with alcohol specifically. I and mean, not my earliest memories were making my mum a gin and tonic while she had a bath. And I'd always have a sip of the gin and tonic. I remember that that first few times I made her a gin and tonic, it would be so exciting for me. And I think the main thing that I've realised over the last six months is I've always been a little bit obsessed with alcohol. Like, I don't know why, but even since such a young like four or five I just remember having this thing that I was I was I, I don't know why and I, I'm I know what you I'm mean out now no I know what you mean because I was similar I mean I never took to gambling I remember there's game at school called penny up the wall right and, yeah. and I'm a different era from you but we used to like toss a 10p or, or whatever it was back then 
and the nearest one to the wall would win. And I hated losing money. And I think a lot of it was because we never had any money as a family. So whenever I got any money, I held on to it. And that doesn't mean I'm tight. It was just I appreciated it more. Where my mates were like chucking coins and coins. So I've never been a gambler. I've, yeah, I've, same. do you yeah. know what I mean? It's always booze for me. It was the one yeah. thing that I idolized and romanticized all my life until I gave up. So I do get that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm obviously working that out now, but I mean, going back to my childhood, we, I think what one of the big things that happened was my brother is Down syndrome and autistic, and he's four years younger than me. And my sisters are all four years older and above. So I was sort of, in the middle and when my brother was born he obviously demanded 24 7 care of my mum so from quite a young age I wasn't at all neglected I had all the love anyone could wish for but I was sort of left to my own devices for my whole childhood to an extent you know I'd go to school and then I could sort of do what I wanted I had you know a great a great upbringing and but then obviously when I got to become a teenager and I was skating most days after school Obviously, with that becomes you get exposed to smoking and mm. smoking weed and stuff. I luckily I always hated, just didn't understand smoking, and mm. I just didn't really get it. Like the, the few times I tried it, I just didn't understand it. But for me, I just it was always the alcohol. I was always looking at the older lads like, oh, the cider. Like it's disgusting now for me to think, but you know, oh, three liters of cider and it's cheaper than mm. two bottles of Lucasaid, and and it's you know, it makes you feel great. And like you said, I just idolized it and couldn't wait to even that from a young age of 13, I remember feeling that. And obviously I didn't have that where I go home and have to really hide it. It was more, hi mum. Like, and she'd go, oh, what have you been doing? And I'd say, oh, I've just been at the skate park and I'd get away with it because she had a lot going on. She had, you know, and my dad was also a doctor and he worked a lot of on-call hours. So I didn't see my dad in the week that much at all, really. It was more at weekends. I'd be with him all the time, you know, taking me to sport and stuff. Mm. Um, and obviously that's a different area growing up at the, in the rugby clubs. It's massive drinking culture. And every Saturday and Sunday we'd be at a rugby club and everyone's drinking as rugby players are known for. And, and yeah. that was my, yeah, I, I was always footballer. And I think it's due to my education because back then, it was always the public schools that were the rugby and the, just the normal schools were football. We never really used to play a lot of rugby. But when I got older, I met this guy called Ray who belonged to a rugby club and he used to go there on a Sunday. I've never seen anything like it. It's, it yeah, was yeah. like real binge drinking culture. That's oh, yeah. What, it's, it's crazy. Geez, mate, yeah. Yeah. I loved it. it yeah. <laughs> That's it. If you if you like drinking, there's no better place in the world because it's, you know, I, I do love rugby clubs for what they are. But now I've got this sort of epiphany of it. I, I realise that how heavily it revolves around drinking. And I think that's, it's a shame because I don't know if you've ever played rugby, Dave, but it's a very special sport. When, yeah. You know, there's people of all shapes and sizes can play rugby. It's often the people who can't get in the football team they'll go and play rugby because, you know, they might be a bit bigger or smaller, can't kick a ball very well. So they'll play rugby because they can push in a scrum and it's so inclusive of everyone. And it's such a bond that you get because it's a very physical game. It's a dangerous game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a huge part of it is the culture, but unfortunately I feel that like alcohol steals a lot of the credit for that team bonding, even, even at a professional standard, Yeah, you know, a lot of it, you know, it was the team social was where you bonded as a team, but that was always a drinking day out that, you know, everyone's like, it's best ever it's when we really come together as a team. And I think alcohol probably does help that in a way. But now looking back, I'm like, it's sad that that's the way that even, you know, top flight coaches are of the opinion that a day out on the piss for the whole team is the best way to bond them. Which Team bonding, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's you it's a shame you wouldn't that that's... get um, a professional football team do that, would you? No, I don't think so. And I think rugby probably is going to go down that route. It's yeah. obviously relatively early days in the professional game, but I just think alcohol has this way of getting the credit 
for mm. all the good parts of a lot of life, like holidays, yeah, sport, music, alcohol seems to get this like pass that oh yeah, that's the good part of it. When I've now realised that for me, it's not. Well, it's, that's the narrative that's always out there, isn't it? It's it's like it helps you unwind, it helps you socialise, it helps you like as you say, team bonding. But it's when yeah. you come away from it, you realise what an absolute farce it is. But anyway, going back to when you were 16, right? Um, yeah. So your life changed then. You were training four days a week. So did you realise yeah. then you had to rein it in with the drinking and because you didn't go to the skate park anymore? Did did you take life more seriously then? Um, like when I've always been very good at when I'm up training or work now i'm a carpenter now but when i'm at training i was a hundred miles an hour in it and there was not many people who would train harder than me but the minute i was out of training that was done and that was the rugby side gone and i would sort of do what i wanted again um but i mean the drinking at that age age 16 to sort of 18 when you can you know legally go into any pub and drink whatever you want. I don't think I was drinking that much, probably just every weekend still, because after a game, even at age 16 for the academy, Leicester Tigers Academy, you, you go and have a few beers somewhere, anywhere you can, whether it's a house party or, yeah. you know, but it was just the weekends on a Saturday exclusively, pro- probably at that point. Um, it was more, I mean, at that age as well, my parents unfortunately uh, split up at age 16 and, a big thing I do remember, and I hope my mum doesn't feel guilty for this because this is in no way her fault, but the day that her my dad told me that we're um, going to split up, they, it was a mutual you know, agreement and there's no, they're, they're very good friends still to this day. Um, but, you know, he told me and said, right, I'm going to be living down the road, but, you know, you're going to live here with your mum now. And obviously that's hard as a 16 year old. Um, but I remember like going downstairs and my mum was there and she knew that my dad had told me and she said, come on, let's have a beer and you know, it'll, we'll, we'll get a pizza and we'll have a few beers and it'll be sweet. And I I don't know whether that sort of put in a subconsciously that, you know, this, this will solve your problems Uh, because it did that night, you know, obviously 16 years old, a few stellars, it's going to make it better, you know, in the short term. And I don't know whether that sort of, accidentally taught me a lesson for later in life but yeah. you know who's to know um but that I remember that quite vividly um but then going back to my career it's sort of you know everyone in my academy team every Saturday we would be going out age 18 and above once we were 18 it was every Saturday you go out and drink a skimful and in rugby you know I play in Australia now just in amateur and it's the same unfortunately that's the norm that you you have a skinful after a game and I mean a skinful I don't mean three beers and that was just the complete normal even in like a professional club that every Saturday most of the players will have quite a lot of beers after the game this was a long this was obviously 2006 though, a long time ago it's different now um, so that was just the standard young rugby player really at that time was Saturday night you have a lot of beers Sunday you recover Monday you're back in training and you go from there. And then I suppose it was probably getting into about a, well, as soon as I was 18, sort of, I remember one of the lads at training telling me like, oh, I have a, because Wednesday's our day off at training. And um, I remember one of the lads, an older lad who I sort of looked up to um, said, oh, I sometimes have a couple of beers on a Tuesday night after Tuesday training. It's always a hard day at work. You know, I always have a couple of beers on a Tuesday. It helps me relax. And I was like, oh, like you can, have beers on a Tuesday as well then add that on so I pretty quickly um like started drinking just a couple of beers on a Tuesday you know I lived with my mum and my pet my sisters had moved out so it was me and my mum and my younger brother disabled brother Joe so me and my mum would have dinner every Tuesday and I'd have a few beers and you know I enjoyed it and it was nice and then you know Saturday came round I'd play a game out my face drunk every Saturday without fail um I did have my girlfriend at this time as well which obviously even at that age was causing problems um she stuck with me I'm now married to her but um you know yeah but um you know it was every Saturday and every Tuesday at this point I wasn't getting drunk on a Tuesday but I was having four beers probably and then just over time over the space of about 
two years, it was probably getting progressively worse. I wasn't noticing in it, obviously, as you don't. But then if I wasn't playing on a Saturday, obviously, when you're young, you, there's a lot of time you have not playing on a Saturday and you, you're not getting in the team and stuff. So that was when I was like, oh, so Friday I can drink because I'm not playing on the Saturday. And so I'd end up having four beers on a Friday and then that would turn to 10 beers on a Friday quite quickly if I wasn't playing. And then Saturday, and then I'd find out, oh, he has a beer on a Sunday. Like, you know, oh, I could have a beer on a Sunday with a pub lunch. Like, you know, I'd go out with, with my missus family and her dad will have a beer, so I'll have a beer with him. And you know how it is. And then um, that was like my sort of backbone of my drinking, I suppose, was then this Tuesday, Saturday and Sunday, Friday if I wasn't playing. And then when we were 22, my, my now wife became pregnant I was still living at home so we had to find a house and moved in and we moved into a house I think it was like four days before my daughter was born so that was all quite stressful and you know a lot to take in and I think at that point I was drinking the Tuesday Friday if I wasn't playing Saturday Sunday you know without fail every week and then sort of between Shiloh my first daughter being born and Reef my son being born it just got more and more probably on them days still but you know it was just more and more and I was more and more thinking like oh, is it Tuesday yes it's Tuesday like I can what beers have I got and I'd know exactly what I had and I'd know if I needed to go to the shop and I'd know that I'd need to go before I got home because Brody would say where are you going I'd have to tell her you know you know you have to hide these things and over them sort of five years we had three children and we got married and a lot of things happened. I had a, a really good friend, unfortunately, pass away. And a lot of things happened in the space of about five years. And also my career sort of took off a little bit, I suppose. I started playing regularly. Um, and I also started realising that I wasn't enjoying the rugby that much. Um, and that was a big thing that over time, I just really didn't enjoy a lot of being a professional rugby player. And it gave me a lot of guilt. And then I was drinking more because of that. You know, I was still getting in the team just about. And, you know, I, I had quite a successful career, really. But, you know, now I realise that I probably didn't reach near my potential because, A, I wasn't, I didn't enjoy it that much for a lot of it. You know, rugby gave me so much and I'll be forever grateful for, you know, the life it gave me. But at the same time, it was... It, I just didn't feel right doing it as a job for some reason, Dave. And it was a strange feeling to feel because it from the outside, a lot of people are like, oh, it must be amazing. You know, all the perks that come with being a rugby player, oh, you must love it. And I couldn't say, no, crap, I don't like it. You know, you have to say, yeah, it's great because for a lot of it, it is great. But deep down, I just didn't feel fulfilled. I, I don't know why. Um, and I just always had this, that out like beer just meant more to me for some reason and it's a shame but it's the way it was that I just couldn't wait for the game to be done and then I could drink all yeah, Saturday. I'm, I'm just my brain's going over and over and over trying to think about how I would feel in your shoes with being a professional sportsman and the thing is with booze it starts to chip away at you. So in the beginning, you had all the structure of the training. You said that you was working the, the hardest you could. And gradually, the booze starts to take you over, doesn't it? And and it sort of calls you in. And I'm just wondering whether that side of your life was becoming more important to you than the restrictions of all the training and that. And you're thinking, I'd rather be having a beer. Because, yeah. you know, I quite often yeah, yeah. say it's like poison ivy. It, it it starts wrapping itself around your toe and then your ankle, then your leg and then your waist. And then then it's got you around the throat. And that it seems like your relationship with alcohol is progressive and it got more and more and more and become more important Definitely, in your yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, during sort of probably when it was at its worst, like I just I didn't want to get picked in the team. And for like probably probably three to four years of my career, I, I didn't want to play because if you didn't play, what you did was you trained on a Friday morning. You did like weights and a, a cardio session. You had a shower at 11 and then you were home for the whole weekend. And I remember that I had a few people, as you do, who I knew 
would be up for going to the pub on a, a Friday at 12 o'clock. So that would be, you know, great, I'm not in the team, so I can go to the pub on yeah. Friday and then I'll go to the game, watch the players, have to do some corporate responsibilities and you can drink during that, so that's great. And then you have a skinful during, you drink after the game and then on a Sunday, I'm probably not going to play next week, so I can drink on a Sunday, I'll get out of my face Sunday, but I'll do it surrounding a meal so it's sort of hidden that I'm not just drinking. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of your podcasts and it seems that every single person has this common thread that they plan their week around it. And that's exactly what I was yeah. doing. But meticulously though, like I knew we used to get a schedule and I'd go through the schedule and go like, right, Oh, we've got Thursday off as well this week. So I can drink Tuesday and Wednesday night and I don't have training the next day. Mm-hmm. And then Friday we travel the next day. So we're not actually playing the next day. We're playing on Sunday. So Friday I can have a couple. That wouldn't be a couple. It would be five. And this was just, it's just a constant battle, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, this did all come to a head, unfortunately, for me. Um, you know, I had decided that I was going to leave rugby. And I thought, I think what I failed to speak about earlier is I thought that rugby was the the issue. And that was what was making me unhappy. And I was drinking because of that. And there might be a little bit of truth in that. But I think now I realise that it was majority the alcohol convincing me that you know rugby was in the way of me and alcohol I suppose and that was the the cycle I was in and um we decided me and my wife that you know we were going to move to Australia and I was going to retire from rugby at I suppose a a young age for a rugby player I was 28 at the time and you know have this new life in Australia still sort of ignoring alcohol she she'd obviously countless times I'd got in trouble with with Brody and you know just countless arguments all to do with alcohol nothing we've ever argued about is about anything else Dave other than my relationship with alcohol she um, she can take she's just one of them annoying people who can just take it or yeah. leave it and yeah. she doesn't did, care about alcohol did you always get defensive oh like immediately I, I would you know just anything else I could think of I didn't know I was doing it, but you know, I just thought it's not obviously it's not the alcohol, it's not the yeah. beer, it's yeah, yeah. beer, beer's everywhere, yeah, yeah. it's it's on offer at Tesco. It's what like, we do as young geezers, isn't it? I'm a you know, like you just make any out you justify it constantly, didn't you? Oh, like I've not seen I've not seen Dave for ages. I've I've got to go and see him at the pub and have yeah. nine peronis because I've not seen him for years. I saw him last week probably. Like yeah. it is just a constant and to myself I was saying these things as well. And I was just constantly, you know, I had a few injuries, you know, my coaches won't won't care anymore, but I had a few injuries from drinking that, you know, I I punched a wall because I'd had an argument with Brody because she basically said, like, you're drinking too much. I punched a wall, broke my hand, and I had to say it was during training and I got away with it because my I was always sort of life and soul of the the party i suppose and i was Little quite tight. liked and a cheeky yeah chat. and again i used to get away with murder yeah. and you know i got caught drink i didn't turn up for one of my academy games because i was drinking the night before once and i just i got done drink driving I, I got in all sorts of trouble all for alcohol and um you know we so going back to my story if you don't mind like this is probably the biggest part but is um we decided to make the move to Australia and, you know, on paper, it was all like, oh, you've had a, like a good rugby career and now you've got this life in Australia, you, you know, happily ever after sort of thing. And that I sort of thought I felt like that as well. And I came over to Australia on my own to sort my work out. And then I remember on the way back, um, like I just ha- hadn't felt good for like three years, really. Like I hadn't felt happy for three years and I knew that. But I just, you become that, that, that's the norm, don't you? And Mm. what I thought was happy wasn't happy at all. But I was like, right, that's my ceiling of happiness. And that's just what I am now. And I'd felt like that for a a good few years. And I remember coming over to Australia and yeah, cool. We've got this sorted. I remember flying back and I drank a lot during that trip. And I remember flying back on my own from Australia and, and just thinking like, I don't, I, I sort of, for some reason, I, just didn't want the plane to like make it home. I just, I was like, I I hope this plane crashes for some reason. And 
I don't know why I felt like that. I feel like it was just coming to a head. And I just remember walking up and down the plane going, like, I just don't want this plane to, you know, arrive safely home. I got home and then began, it was off season. So the, the, we were not training or anything. We had our time off and I was drinking. I always drank like June is your month off as a rugby player. And that was my month like of drinking, if you know what I mean. It was in the diary. June is the month. You know what I mean? It's And it was full on every, every year, June till July. I'd drink every day and get away with it because I was, you know, a, a tyke, like we've said, but, you know, everyone sort of liked me and I got away with murder and I drank every day. And this June was no different, you know, drinking every day. And my wife, Brody went away um, to Ibiza, I think it was on a, no, Manchester on a, a, a bit Hindu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ma- anyway, Manchester. And I just remember feeling like really depressed when the day she went and I said, like, I remember saying to her before she went, like, you just shouldn't be with me. Like, I'm just a waste of space and, you know, I'm just an idiot. You need to leave me. And and that's that. And, you know, the kids don't deserve me. And I just felt looking back now, I was like rock bottom pretty much. And the, she went away for the, the Friday, Saturday, the Friday, you know, I got out of my face and you know, got drunk, had some mates round. And again, they always sort of turned a blind eye to it because they're my mates and they love me and, you know, it was fine. And then the next day I just woke up like pretty early and just started drinking pretty much straight away. And I just remember like about midday just going like, I just don't think I can like carry on living sort of thing. I had this like just a thought that thought came into my head quite strongly more and more that week and um just as the day progressed I was drinking heavily heavily doing my best I was looking after the kids also which you know is is I feel I hate saying it but you know I had the kids at this time and um put them to bed that night and I had a mate round but he went home and then I remember it being like half seven and I was like wow like this is overwhelming feeling of like I can't like carry on and um I just carried on drinking Dave and I had for some reason I don't know whether it was like psychosis or what but my my mum's dad unfortunately committed suicide at quite a young age and I just had this vision of of him calling me in saying you know Sam like this is what you're meant to do and sort of be with me and I was like yeah this is my calling like this is what I'm supposed to do like you know I've failed at being a rugby player to a point you know I haven't fulfilled my potential I've failed at being a dad and a husband and all this and you know I I was like I think I'm gonna have to do it like and and I just carried on drinking and then you know by some magic power I was like I'm gonna have all the tablets in the cupboard and then I'm gonna drink as much as I can and hopefully there's enough tablets to to do it and um I just had like I think there was like 15 paracetamol and some ibuprofen I don't know what the ibuprofen did uh, probably just reduce some inflammation somewhere but I had all these tablets and you know thinking I, I don't know I don't know what I was thinking at that but I was so drunk I, I drank so much and I was like if I have all these tablets I'm, I'm I don't hopefully won't wake up and then um I went to bed and luckily I just woke up probably a couple of hours later or an hour later just with this horrendous pain my stomach and I just absolutely like spewed everywhere and I remember like it fizzing like the 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 sick and I was like it it, like it was like weird it was like flashes of white you know I was fully just on a different black blacking out almost in and out of consciousness and um the next morning like the, the kids came up to my bedroom as as they do and I even at that point I didn't really understand what was happening I was just like morning kids like I guess I'm still here sort of thing and then I just I, I obviously rang Brody and said like I did something a bit silly and then from from that point I hope I'm not going on too long Dave is, is this no, yeah no, I'm fascinated, um, mate. so like um I, I rang my wife she got the first train back and because I just had to be honest I knew that I'd done something whether whether I tried to genuinely kill myself or not I don't I don't really know or 
it doesn't bother me. It's probably, hopefully, just more of a cry for help than anything. Looking back now, but I, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. To be honest, I couldn't deal with my emotions. Obviously, um, she came back, and and at the time, I was like, you know, I've made a mistake, but it's going to be fine, though. Like, what are we doing today? Then it's Sunday, and she was obviously completely like gutted. Um, you know, she was like trying to be. I just was on a different planet at that point, and she was like, no we're going to sort this like this is not this isn't normal like come on let's sort of be real here and her family were amazing my family were amazing but they obviously all spoke to each other and like sorted stuff out Brody rang my team captain and told him what had happened um and my head coach who's also like these are all my good friends my head coach was my friend as well at the time but I was sort of like ah, I just did a mistake at the weekend and you know it was just a, a bad a bad spell like what are we doing what like what when does training start for the season and um like obviously I got referred to see like some people and I went and seen the team doctor still just for some reason thinking like oh, it's, I'm just like normal I just had a bit of a hiccup I suppose and obviously then I reality set in of, of what I'd done and um what what had led to that point and I started to realize obviously like that alcohol even at that point I only just realized like that alcohol was had, had pretty much got me to that point mm. um you know and I saw an amazing man called Brian um who is from Turning Point that uh, yeah. a, a company you, you obviously know of um and he actually I think he ran a group session but because I saw him he was like I do only do a group session he said but I sort of connect with you. Would you want to come and see me every week? And I was like, yeah, anything. Because at this point, reality had set in and, and I felt really depressed. And also I did still feel suicidal. And, you know, he was amazing. Like he, he definitely like was one of them sort of angels that appear in these times. And, you know, for the last, like the two weeks after that, I did feel very low about what I'd done. And it almost doubled down like you know I was like well now I've sort of should end it because you know I've done all that and I'm still here and I definitely don't deserve to to be here anymore um but then at the same time I knew that I couldn't because everyone knew about my situation and my wife was so upset and I I now was thinking of the kids there's obviously no way I can do it but I really want to and um Obviously, the, the club were amazing. They said, have enough time, as much time off as you need. And, you know, obviously, I, I stopped drinking and that was through turning point. You know, he said, like, you, you need to abstain. And I was seeing a psychiatrist as well. And I did just stop drinking like there and then. And I was like, right, if I drink again, it's going to kill me. So I'm not going to drink again. Three months later, you know, everyone's like, obviously, you're not going to move to Australia now because you got to sort... And I was like, no, no, we're, we're going to do it. Like, it's, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, as long as I don't drink, I'll be fine. And I think that probably would have been the case, to be honest, Dave. Um, me and my wife built our relationship back up and, you know, we had that connection again and I was completely sober and, you know, I still wasn't loving life. I was still depressed and at times very, very low, but I knew that I've got a life in Australia that's going to be a new beginning and, you know, this is a, the bottom of the new start, if you know what I mean, not not the the end of a terrible life. You know what I mean? I was like, this is the bottom of a new start and it's going to be great. So we go to Australia. I start my new career as a carpenter. Absolutely loved it. The kids loved it. And then I remember speaking to the, the psychiatrist saying like, so out of interest, when when will I be able to drink again? And he said, well, that's not really like the question that you should ask, you know, um and the problem was I I had to stop seeing these people because we moved to Australia you know this was sort of probably in the halfway in between my recovery you know mentally we moved to Australia which is another big stress so I, I for some reason had in my head I think one person had maybe said like well if you do a year off you'll be sweet so I had in my head Dave like oh, I do a year then alcohol will no longer be a problem because I then I now know what alcohol is and it's sweet. I can carry on with my life, have a beer like a normal person, yeah. and it'll be all good. Um, and to the day, it was a year, June the, the 12th, and it was June the 12th, 2020. I was like, perfect. It's a year. 
I've done a year, complete transformation. Our life is great. It was my daughter's birthday. I was like, I'm going to have a beer because I can. So I went to the shop, got a 4X Gold, which is a horrible watery beer they do over here. It's not good, but they love it over here. <laughs> and I had one of them and I was like, yeah, great, a beer. Like, And then, you know, over the space of three months, I had in my head that this is no longer an issue. Before Christmas, I was drinking more than I think I probably ever had. And because life is so nice, you know, the weather's always nice out here. People are always outside on the beach. You know, my wife loves it out here. I'm no longer going to away games all the time. I'm in the house a lot more. So we're probably closer. I'm getting away with drinking more because it's a bit more throughout the day. It's not just nighttime hard drinking. It's more just during the day. But most days, beer after work, beer on the way home, go to the pub with the lads after work like a normal chippy does. You know, and it's you get a, and then I've got rugby at the weekend, but I can drink before the games because I'm not a professional anymore. So beer on a Friday. What's wrong with that? And before I knew it, I was drinking probably more than what I ever had done. And then I, I don't know why it happened, but there was just one day six months ago I was working and my wife had sort of, you know, we'd, we'd said not explicitly, but I knew that if alcohol ever became an issue again, then it was going to be over and. Brody would have moved back with the kids and uh, who knows what I'd have done. I'd probably just drank myself to death, to be honest. But I th- we both knew that there was no other chance. Like we weren't, my wife doesn't mess around and nor do I with decisions. And we said like, we'd had lots of discussions. And before I knew it though, it was completely in control of me again. And every morning I was waking up feeling like crap having a, had a crap sleep what how much what day is it how much can I drink today without getting in trouble with Brody oh it's Tuesday so I probably can't have you know probably can't drink today can't wait for tomorrow though because I've got rugby training and now I can have 10 beers after that and because that's fine because everyone drinks after rugby training and like I said there was a day I was at work on my own and one of the lads asked me oh how many how many beers did you um drink at the weekend and I said like oh just a few like not many it wasn't a big one and then I like actually thought to myself while we we're eating lunch, I was like, how many did I have? And then I was like, I was drinking all weekend from Friday at 12 o'clock to Sunday at 11 o'clock PM. And I was like, I think that this has got me again. And it was like a, it was like a lightning bolt. Like I've never had a, cause the first time when I did the year off, it was like, cause I had to, because I'd done something terrible and I was at the absolute bottom of the bottom for me. And I was like, I've got to stop drinking. It wasn't my decision. And I was like, I'll do a year off and then I'm sweet. But this time it was like, oh my God, it's got me again, but I don't have to be part of it. Like I I can say, I can decide now that it's not me anymore, that I don't have to have anything to do with it. And there was this Friday, I hope, I hope my boss doesn't mind because I didn't get anything done at work. I was just walking around the job site, the building site, looking up at the sky going like, I never have to do this again. Like I don't have to go through this. And I don't know why I thought of that that day. I don't know what came over me, but I got home and I was in like floods of tears to my wife because it's overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you, yours is yeah. similar, but I was just overwhelmed with this feeling that I don't have to choose like to be part of this silly, like horrible game that's a 24 seven game of yeah, like what I can get away with and, and lies and feeling like shit. Yeah. And it was like just the most surreal day. And I had four Cooper's Greens, which is another horrible beer, in the beer fridge. And I said to my wife, these are the last four beers I'm ever going to have. And I'm going to drink each one and like think about what it is. And I remember drinking and just being like, my whole life up to this point has just been like so heavily revolved around this, this, like it. And it was just this, an amazing feeling. And then, and I, I knew that Brody knew. She knew when I told her that it was for real. Like, I don't do things by half, Dave. Like, if I'm going to do something, I do it. And she knew and I knew, like, this is it. This is, like, the beginning. And it's all that she's ever wanted, really. We've been going out since we were 16. And it's probably all she's ever wanted, like, the one thing. And there was just this day. And, you know, from then on, I could speak for another two hours about how good it's been. But I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about that because it's probably boring for a lot of people no, i i just want to thank you sam for sharing that as well because it was it was very um 
emotional for me because I could relate to a lot of what you were saying. So I'm sure yeah. listeners can as well. Um, in graphic detail of that night where you nearly took your life. And I've been there myself because my self-esteem was so low. I despised myself yeah. and I thought everyone's better off without me, uh, including myself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and I never put that in the equation at the time. It was after I realized, well, where did I come into that? Where was how I felt about who I was as a person? Because I, I loathed my, I loathed who I'd become. You know, when I thought yeah, of myself yeah. as a young man, um, always out and about, uh, making people laugh to this this person completely addicted to this horrible drug, you know. And what happened the second time around is you'd had the experience of a year off, but you're probably like me, don't like being told what to do. And, th- and this time around, it was your choice to end it. So what you said there about, I don't have to feel like this anymore. Like I don't have to wake up on the Monday morning um, feeling like shit. I don't have to think about what time I can start drinking again. I don't have to try and remember what I said like for you, for Brody, it clears all that bandwidth straight away. And you think, all I've got to do now is concentrate on my emotional well-being, my relationship with my wife, my kids, be um, productive with my work and, and stay healthy. And, and that frees all that horrible, toxic mess up in your head straight away, doesn't it? Oh, it's it's just incredible. Like, it, it's just incredible. Like, I'm still relatively... Because the, the year off, I don't really see it as a year of sobriety because it was just a blur of so much going on and so much depression and and you know bad stuff that I had to overcome this time it's just like being I don't want to say it but it's like being reborn a little bit because I've just got this outlook that I've never had ever of like the birds singing yeah like just enough to make me go oh today is amazing and I'm so grateful just to be like going to work on a Tuesday, just a northern normal day, the sun's out. How good's that? And just that, like, content. I've got a healthy family at home when I get home, and oh, my sandwiches are nice today. <laughs> and all of yeah, that. Do you know what? I love that. I love that because yeah. it, it really highlights how much alcohol erodes everything in your life. It just gradually everything. erodes it, right? And yeah. and what you said about your mental health, you know, when you didn't care whether you was here or not when you said about the plane crashing you know that's what it does it just erodes your mental health your your physical well-being your relationships it just takes 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 right and this time around when you when you say i hear the birds singing and it brings you so much joy that's really living in it i really get that you know like 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 when I wore my dog Rose and I smell the grass of it, it's recently rained or, you know, like little things give me joy where before I wouldn't even notice them. All I'd be thinking about was in my next drink. Yeah. It's like, I just, it's like a horse, the police horses with the, the thing, the blinkers, the blinkers on it. You can take them off. It's, they're just, and it's, it, I know you've spoke about it before, but it's just incredible how, you know, and, and a good thing that's happened is I speak to my sisters quite a lot. And one of my sisters is, chosen to stop drinking as well you know I'm saying that now to put pressure on her because I hope she does does it full time but but she's done a few months now and she said exactly she said I just love pegging my washing out and hearing the birds and I was like yeah the birds how good are birds like tweeting and and it like for every single person I, I just believe that it does what you just said it and even if it's a few beers at the weekend that for some reason is put on a pedestal above everything else in in a lot of people's lives and uh it makes me because alcohol is just another so there's a million substances in the world isn't there there's a million things that are bad for you and it's just another one of them that you know shouldn't be relevant but it's just this huge thing that i sort of hate a little bit (laughs) yeah i get that we go through a hate period but you know what you say about there's a million things out there but the thing is alcohol is the number one most promoted product, isn't it? It's yeah, absolutely yeah. everywhere, right? And when you take yourself out of that, you can really see how these big marketing companies promote it to so many of us. And this is why it's hard for so many people to give up because yeah. it's like we all have the narrative of, 
oh, I'm going on holiday next week and it's fully inclusive. Well, you know, what am I meant to do with that? Or it's my birthday or there's a works do on or, you know, there's drinks Friday afternoon and they normally carry on in the workspace and stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah. you have to be bigger than that and think, do you know what? I don't need to be part of that. I can choose to take myself away from that. And that's what you've done. That's what I've done. And it's being the bigger person, but it's also, it's thinking, I think about how long does that play a part in your life with this socializing stuff? Because the main thing I think is your normal life, when you wake up with your kids and your wife and they're happy, you've got a better relationship, your everyday life is bigger than these occasions, aren't they? These occasions where we make them so big. Yeah, I've always, and that was me, I was you know, the weekend was it because that was your big drinking time. And the, the rest of the week is just a weird gray area where you're a little bit down waiting yeah. for that. Yeah. And you're down because of the binge at the weekend. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There's, there's days where I'm like, Oh, like I, this is a bit, a bit dull. Like I've not done anything for a while now, but then I just go out, go and have a surf and I'm like, wow. How amazing is like, you know, and it does help that I live in a beautiful place. But I know for a fact, if I lived back in my hometown in Hinkley, I would feel the same because there'd be other things I'd do. And one thing I haven't touched on is like I since I've stopped drinking, like music has came back into my life in a way that it had completely gone. Because I used to DJ and produce music when I was 18 onwards. And then again, alcohol 100 percent just took that away. And I just wasn't interested. I was I was doing rugby and alcohol took that away. I stopped drinking and I'm like, I'm I, obviously I've replaced alcohol with probably music, but you know, I've just started playing music again, whether it's on my computer or my guitar. And yeah, you hear it differently as well. I was at Latitude at the weekend, and um, you know what? I, I I was pleasantly surprised. Actually, I thought it would be an absolute piss up. But it it wasn't terrible, honestly. I, I was quite surprised. Um, got a coffee at about um, eight p.m. a decaf, but the queue was massive. And I'd be thinking, well, there'd be none there, and it'll all be at the bar. But I was quite surprised. And you hear the music differently when you're sober. Your, your sensitivity is different, isn't it? You you hear different things. And well, yeah, I I used to. I ended up only listening to music when I was drinking. And I was like, you know, listen to it. It's better when I'm drinking. And every night, for some reason, I used to watch YouTube and watch music videos when I was drunk on YouTube. And I'd be like, that's the only time I really enjoy music now. And how stupid is that? Like, I was only listening to music when I was drunk. And, you know, that was it. Whereas now it's, you know, just like everyone else, I listen to it all the time. And it's a huge part of my life. But, you know, alcohol definitely took that away as well. So, yeah, it's it's great. So how are you um, and Brody and the kids now? Are you all sweet? Oh, perfect, yeah. You know, we've we've got um, – we're applying for a visa again to stay here long-term now, so that is stressful. Um, but, again, there's just nothing that every, – like, everyone has stresses, but I don't find it – what I thought was stressful before was horrible. Like, you know, couldn't deal with it leave it just put it to the back and oh thought of a visa you know i'm hungover forget about it whereas now i'm like it's just a visa i've got to just some paperwork and i'll do it and that's just a normal life stress that everyone has and i deal with it and then it's like right what we didn't it's there's there's not one part of my life that isn't better from going to the toilet (laughs) to bloody eating my dinner like there's not one part of my life no matter how small is not better everything's better and that's not a fluke is it and i don't think i think everyone who stops who maybe if you have a problem that's different but everyone who stops seems to have the same message like yeah. it's my life is just so much better in every way now and i'll never take it for granted now ever again oh that's lovely sam that's how i feel and a lot of other people you never hear a sober person say they regret getting sober before we go what would you say to someone listening to this thinking, God, I would love to stop drinking or try and give myself a breather or whatever. What would you say to them? Well, it's hard. Like, I, again, I've got a bit of imposter syndrome with giving out advice. I feel like it's rich coming from me. But 
And and I remember I once had a talk by Tony Adams. He came into our club and he told us about his struggles. And I remember just thinking like, oh, that was an interesting story, but it, that it didn't uh, like it wasn't anything to do with me at the time. I was probably an alcoholic. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I think it's only possible if someone like wants to or like is interested in doing it. And I think it's probably not answering your question, but how do you get people to to be interested in potentially doing it? Um, because I think if you do that, then it's so obvious that if you do go sober, that life is just, <laughs> it just gives you more. Yeah. And it's how do you get people to want yeah, to? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is you've already done it, mate. You've already done yeah, it by yeah. you sharing your story. And and I think there will be people listening to you that will really admire you for what you've achieved now and how you've explained yourself on this podcast. And they look up to you and they go, do you know what? What a lovely bloke. And I, this, it kind of plants a seed, right? So they might not be ready right at this moment, but what it would do, it come back to them a little bit later on and they remember this conversation. And then at the next time they wake up hangover or, or whatever, or they've had too much, they will start to remember it. And that's probably what I'm to you. And that's what I'm to me. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, it's never linear, this thing. It's never right. That's it. I knew that it was time, blah, blah. It's, it's a road to lead into it. And that's what happened to you the second time around. You, you know, when you woke up that day and you thought, right, that's my last four beers I'm having now. But that didn't start there. That was a progression of different things that led you to there. And this is what these conversations have. Yeah. And I think just going back to your question, I've probably got a better, well, more on it, that I think as soon as you like peel back a tiny bit of that curtain of, almost admitting to yourself soon as you because that day for me it was saying I only had a couple and then I said to myself but did I actually have a couple or was I drinking for 48 hours pretty much that tiny bit of being honest to yourself and actually thinking what your relationship is when you know deep down it is a problem there's that tiny little thing that you do mentally that's the hardest part I think is doing that because once you do that there's no way you can unsee it yeah like you can't lie to yourself for that long once you've opened the lid yeah that's what it was for me anyway yeah and i think that's a typical bloke thing because a lot of people that come to me for support are women because i think they're more honest with themselves with their drinking where blokes are more like, oh, what are you talking about? It's just a few beers with their lads. And you, you've said that in this interview, you know, it's just a couple of beers and what's your problem? I don't drink that. I don't drink on a Tuesday, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Blokes yep. make excuses. So I think it's all about is taking a breather for 10, 15 minutes and thinking about your own relationship with booze and being real with yourself is, the answer and as you say once you've been real with yourself you can't unsee that because you think bloody hell i am drinking a bit more than i thought and it is affecting my relationship it is affecting how i am at work i actually feel quite depressed and like the future doesn't look that bright and you start asking yourself these questions and that's you know where it all begins yeah and i think my message would be dave is that once you've done that and if you listen to this, then that's you that you you're sort of halfway there because this the help like this podcast, for example, was I listened to this every day for my first month. I listened to every single episode. I listened to Sober Awkward as well. Yeah. And I read Alcohol Explained and they helped me so much, but only because I was I'd lifted that lid. So if you've done that and you're listening to these things, I think that's the hardest part a lot of the time. For me anyway, it was. Um because that there's so much help now. There is amazing people like yourself that if you're willing and honest, then a lot of it is, is great and gives you a lot back because there's so much like this around. I I agree. And, and you can feel so lonely in your drinking. You don't need to be lonely when you're trying to stop drinking. And, you know, as you say, there's so much there. So I kind of urge anyone that's listening to this, 
to have a think about their own drinking and and reach out and see how it goes. You know, use it like an experiment even and go, do you know what, I'm going to take a month off the booze. You know, I've just developed a course for stopping drinking for a month, you know, and then at the end of the month, you think, right, how do I feel? How How is my life looking compared to a month ago? And 99%, it's going to be a lot better, you know, and then you think, well, I'm going to do another week or a few days, you know what I mean? And then just take it. You don't have to make this big announcement with the trumpets going, that's it, I'm done. Just see how yeah. it goes, you know. Um, and, and that's how people do it, I think, a lot of the time. But, Sam, it's been a real absolute pleasure to speak to you today and hear your story. And I'm so genuinely pleased that you're in a much better place in your life now. So thank you so much for joining me, mate, and sharing your story. Oh, thanks for having me on, mate. It's been really, really good for me as well. Thank you. Good lad. And uh, let's speak soon, mate. Let's catch up. Yep. Yep. Awesome. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon, and you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening, and have a great week.